It was on a Sunday night similar to a meeting like this. It was in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. And I walked in, I was not speaking that evening, I walked into the meeting and sat down uh, in, a row, in a row where there was a lady sitting several seats away from me, nobody in between us. She looked at me and smiled, and I looked at her and smiled. I said, how are you? She said, I'm, I'm okay, how are you? I said, I'm okay. She said, do you have a favorite chapter in the Bible? <clears throat> From uh, her physical appearance, I could tell that she was, I'm not sure if I'm politically correct anymore, <laughs> handicapped, I guess is the word, or challenged. And uh, when she spoke, it verified that she had also a speech impediment. So in that very broken and very difficult uh, way of speaking, she said, do you have a favorite chapter in the Bible? Well, I'm trying to be very spiritual at that moment. <laughs> you know, well, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> of course, that's a leading question, right? So I said to her, do you have a favorite chapter in the Bible? And she smiled and she said, oh, yes, I do. She said, it's Psalm 139. Would you like for me to say it for you? I said, sure. So she launched, and while she was going, I just sort of opened my Bible, Old King James, right through all 24 verses. She did not miss a word, with much effort, I might say. Well, ever since that night, and that was many, many years ago, Psalm 139 has been one of my favorite psalms. So we're going to look at that tonight, if you'll turn there with me. Psalm 139. While you're turning there, someone a lot smarter than me decided to entitle this psalm, My God and Me. Now there's a reason for that. The word God, or personal pronouns that refer to God are mentioned 36 times in 24 verses. But the personal pronoun, me, or I, or mine, or my, something like that, is mentioned 48 times in 24 verses. So, yeah, you don't have to be that smart. My God and me, yes, of course. It's what it's all about. But as some of you may have in the outline of your Bible, now I don't have a study Bible, so you already have one up on me if you have a study Bible. It's probably broken down into four parts. And the four parts actually speak of four attributes of God. Now an attribute is something that God is like or is characteristic and Certainly you cannot confine the Almighty to four characteristics or attributes, but they seem to be relatively clear in the text. So my God and me. You watch your Bibles, please. Let me read the first six verses. Now watch the references of the Lord or God and the references for us. O Lord, that'd be one. 
thou, that'd be two, has searched me, that'd be one for me, <laughs> and known me, two for me. So we got two for God and two for me, right, in the first verse. And that's the way it is. I'm not going to bore you with that, but that's the way it goes all the way through. 36 times for God, 48 times for me. Verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all of my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. That's the first section. And let me suggest, and what you may have in your outline, is that the first six verses speak to us of the characteristic of God that he knows everything. That's not hard. The theologians put a big, long, double-jointed word onto that called the omniscience of God. Omni, all science, knowledge, God knows everything. Now, let me say at the very beginning that this psalm will do one of two things for you. It will either extremely comfort you or it will terrify you. <laughs> because God knows everything. He knows everything when you're alone, when there are no other human witnesses. He knows every thought before you think it, every word before you say it, every deed before you do it, uh, nothing unknown to this God. Every thought, every action, every word, all my history, everything behind, everything before, the psalmist says, wow, I can hardly get it. Well, of course, you can hardly get it. There was a story told about a little girl who got a doctor's kit for Christmas. And it had several things, a little syringe and a stethoscope and a thermometer and different things. So she's playing with that. And uh, the father said to her, said, could I see that stethoscope? And she brought it over to him. And he said, did you know that I can listen to your heart and know what you're thinking? She said, no, you Yes, I can. So he put it here and said, come up here. And he put it on her little chest. And being a very wise father, he just watched her eyes. And her eyes focused on a big box of chocolates under the Christmas tree. He said, aha, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you'd like to have some of the chocolates out of that box under the tree. Well, her eyes got about that big. That's what she was thinking. So wasn't much else said about that, but the next day an interesting thing happened. She got out her doctor's kit to play doctor and nurse, and she was going about, but there was something missing in the kit. The stethoscope was gone. She hid it because she didn't want her father listening to her heart and knowing what she was thinking. Mm. Every thought before we think it. I told you to terrify you or comfort you, 
And uh, folks, we have to be careful. Every idle word that man shall say shall he give an account thereof in the day of judgment. For by your words you're justified, and by your words you are condemned. God knows everything about us. Well, <clears throat> uh, I was not raised in a Christian home. And uh, I was raised in a good home, let me say that, uh, good as far as uh, it could go without Christ. Uh, no alcohol, no immorality, uh, no stuff like that. We were, went to church every Sunday. Uh, we were raised to be uh, good uh, Christians. We didn't know what a Christian was in those days, but we were raised to be good Christians. And so uh, I went off to school. And when I got off to school, I noticed that some of the uh, of my peers in school was saying words that uh, that I didn't understand, but every time they said one of those words, everybody else laughed. I thought, well, it must be a cool word. So I started practicing those words a bit myself. I didn't know much how to say them at the beginning. We would know them as swear words, and I didn't. I didn't have, hear any swear words in my home, but. I practiced that, you know, and I got, and, and people, when I said them, people would laugh, and I thought that was really cool. So I had said, so I didn't know what it meant, of course, but I was saying it until my friend one day said, you better hope your dad doesn't get one of those boxes. I said, boxes? What do you mean? Well, yes, the scientists, they have invented a box, and, and everything that you have ever said in your whole life is in one of these boxes, and if your dad ever got one of those boxes and heard what you had said, he would be very angry. Well, that worried me for a long time. <laughs> I hope my dad wouldn't get one of those, well, I don't know that there ever was one of those boxes, just one of those childhood things, of course, you know. But why does it bother us? Why does it bother you when you have thoughts that you know are not right? Why does it bother you when you say words that you know are not kind words or right words? Well, why does it bother you when you go places or do things that you know are not right? Why does that bother you? There's a father up above, and he's looking down in love. Be careful, little tongue, and be careful, little hands, and be careful, little feet, where you go, because God knows everything. Tonight in the backwoods of Afghanistan, or Malaysia, or India, or Russia, it doesn't matter. Nobody else knows. Uh, they'll never be on the news or television. No books will ever be written. They are born, and they live, and they die, and the world doesn't even know. But God knows. God. And so God is a God that knows everything. He searched us and he knows us. Now, verse 7, watch your Bibles, moving along. Whether, the, uh, the question is asked, whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there thy hand shall lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Well, if the first six verses tell us that God knows everything about me, the, the next few verses, 7 down through verse 12, tells us this. There is no place where God is not. We call that his omnipresence. God is, God's the only person you've ever met that doesn't have to travel. He's already there. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? He is everywhere at all times. So the psalmist says, well, let me see if I can get this. Uh, if, I were, if I would try to get away from you or your spirit uh, or from your presence. Now, we know a few people in the Bible tried that. So it's virtually impossible. Adam and Eve tried that. Jonah tried that. You remember, they're trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Job writes it like this. There is no darkness or shadow of death where the workers of iniquity can hide themselves. Jeremiah records it like this. Am I a God at hand and not a God afar off? Could any hide himself in secret places, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? You remember I told you that this psalm will do one of two things. It will either tremendously encourage you or it will terrify you. God is everywhere. God knows everything, and God is everywhere. So he says, okay, if I ascend into heaven, you're there. Now, we're pretty smart. We know this. Uh, to go to heaven to get away from God would be like going to the sun to get away from the heat. I mean, we know <laughs> that God is in heaven. But then he makes a strange statement. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. What is that? Well, let's remind ourselves that the devil is not the Lord of hell. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit like all of the other Christ rejectors, and he's not Lord of anything. Oh, he tries to be the God of this earth right now. He's like a mad dog on a leash, and God gives him a little slack now and then, but he's got nothing, no power. He certainly won't be the Lord of hell, but Jesus is. For in that day, every tongue will confess. That he is Lord. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, and everything under the earth. Sometimes the cults come to me and they want to argue about where they're going to live. <laughs> That's amazing, you know. They just say, well, you know, I'm going to live on earth, they say, you know. And uh, well, I, I feel so sorry for these people. You know what I tell them? Wherever Jesus is, that's where I'm going to be. I don't care where he is. It makes no difference to me. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if Jesus wasn't there anyhow. And, and this perfect paradise of earth wouldn't be earth if Je uh, wouldn't be paradise unless Jesus was there anyhow. So he said, did not he say, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and, and I will come again and receive you unto myself. Listen, that where I am, Jesus said, there you may be also. That's where you want to be with Jesus, isn't it? Of course that's where you want to be. 
So I suppose Jesus, my ark of safety, Jesus in Christ, I'm a new creation. Jesus is my hope and my blessed hope, and everything's in Christ. If you don't have Christ, you have nothing. I suppose that if Jesus wanted to check out the flames of hell, I'd be safe. You see, there is no place where he is not Lord. There is no place that he does not rule. And if I made my bed in hell, of course it's Sheol, it's the grave, it's the underworld, it's the place of the departed. It makes no difference, does it? It doesn't. He is Lord of all. And he's in control of all. And there is no place that you could go to get out from under his authority. Listen to me. He's talking about surely the darkness shall cover me. You can't even pull the grave in over you and get away from him. There's a point that a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment. The judgment. You have an unbreakable appointment with Jesus Christ. Oh, if I take the wings of the morning, uh, perhaps. I'm not dogmatic. Uh, the wings of the morning could represent the fog bank over the lake, perhaps the Mediterranean. Maybe the psalmist is sitting there, and the, the fog, the mist of the morning, the wings of the morning are there. The sun rises, uh, the heat starts to melt away the fog, and it lifts, called the wings of the morning, and the next thing you know, it's gone. And he's reminiscing, and he's saying something like, if I could catch the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, when I got there, God would say, good morning, I'm already here. Thank you. There's no place where I am not. If I could take the wings of the morning. Even there, verse 10, thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. You Listen, more secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. The Lord Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's what he said. And then he said, if that's not good enough, my Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You couldn't get out of there if you wanted out. <laughs> I know you don't want out, but I'm telling you, that's how safe you are. There's no place you could go to get away from God. That comforts me. That encourages me. How many of us have not read some missionary biography or some story of missionaries where they're thrown away in, uh, in some uh, damp, dark uh, dungeon or cell and there is no one there to comfort them, save the Almighty, of course. He is there. He is there. He is with them in every aspect of life. Now, uh, the, the thought that the darkness shall cover you, that's interesting too, isn't it? Do you know when most crimes are done? You know, in the dark. You take an otherwise good Sunday school class to a sporting event and the lights go out. <laughs> a little boy giggles and a little girl screams and they do things under the cover of darkness that they wouldn't do in the bright light, let me tell you. That's just the way it is. You know, they think, why do they do that? They think nobody sees. Why is crime? Listen, we have seen a rampage of uh, rebellion and, and disasters and, and, and all kind of things done over racial discrimination in this country in the last year. It's been unbelievable what has happened. 
And they, 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 they kind of tiptoe through the tulips during the day. And what happens at night? They go out there and burn cars and break into things. And uh, I don't know why it is. Surely the darkness shall cover me. Listen, uh, the scriptures are very clear. Look at verse 12. The darkness hideth not from God, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to God. God never gets tired. He never knows when it gets dark. Because he doesn't need light to see. He is light. And he sees in every aspect and in every way. The darkness and the light are both alike to him. Okay, so God knows everything. Wonderful. Uh, in my thoughts, my actions, my words, God is everywhere. There's no place I can go to get away from him. Well, that, that should be comforting to the believer. But let's continue knowing about the attributes of God. Notice verse 13. He says this, For thou hast possessed my reign, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. I don't know if you have an outline or title over that section or not. I have entitled this, um, The Omnipotence of God. God is all-powerful. You say, well, how did you get that? A fool can make a nuclear warhead and destroy a civilization. Only God can create life. You know, they can... They can mess with it once they get it in the test tube. <laughs> they can't make life. Only God. And he takes clay, he takes dust, and he breathes uh, uh, into that dust the breath of life, and man becomes a living soul. So I suggest that this talk is all-powerful. Now notice how personal this is. He said, you possess me. And covered me in my mother's womb. Listen, if there ever was a text that would clarify when God recognizes life, it can't get any clearer than this. Conception. There it is. Right there. Oh, needless to say, he already knows us before the foundation of the earth. That's okay too. But listen, everything has a point in time in this age in which we live. And right there, made in secret. Uh, made curiously, uh, 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 put together by the very plan and program of God, and there you are. Oh, not much at the beginning. Things didn't look like much at the beginning. Oh, but it was all there. You were unperfect, but everything is written. And, you know, it's amazing what science can do today. I mean, they can get something called, somebody help me here, DNA. You know, you know about that, right? 
I know nothing about that, but what I hear is incredible. That there is the blueprint, the schematic on you. Not the person beside you, you. Yours is unique. Yours is different. Yours is all and how and why and when and everything uh, that God made you. It's just like that's it right there. That's how personal. That's how unique it is. Mr. MacDonald, in his commentary, you could read it if you got one, uh, said this. Uh, he said, the body is made up. I, I mean, I can't count this high, honestly, but it says 60 trillion cells. 60 almost like the debt in the United States or something like that. I can't remember. But 60 trillion cells. And then he says they have 100,000 miles. That's further from here to Canada and back. 100,000 miles of nerve fiber. 60,000 miles of blood vessels. He'd say, no, it couldn't possibly. Well, that's what these commentators write, anyhow. <laughs> 250 uh, bones and joints and ligaments, and on it goes, fearfully and wonderfully made. I, I do a fair bit of traveling, and you, guess what I see whenever I travel? Cars, cars, by the millions and millions and millions of cars. Cars, man-made things, rubber and metal and shiny stuff and moving parts and I, I'm, it's absolutely incredible that they're not all broke down out there on the road somewhere. It's amazing that a car has nothing to do in comparison with the complexity of the body. It's absolutely incredible that you're here tonight and still working. <laughs> I mean, here we are. God has put it together. God has built it. God's got a schematic. God's got the blueprint. God says, I knew you before you were born. I knew you. I saw you when you were conceived. I have a book. Every, I have a plan. Listen, folks. God's got a plan for your life. And one of the greatest tragedies that will ever happen to you if you go through your life and never know that plan. Don't miss that. That's the excitement. That's the adventure. That's what God has for you in my book. All your members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet you're just there. You haven't even got a form yet. You're just there. But in my book, I have a plan for your life. Oh, don't miss that plan. Don't go through your life without knowing God's plan. Some people are scared God's going to catch them. They go through life and go, oh, I know my friend, they became a Christian and they went to Africa. Oh, oh, I hope God doesn't get me, you know. Listen, God doesn't make you do things like that. He's built you. He's designed you. He's got a plan for your life. He doesn't want you to be miserable. He, he, he wants you to be excited. He wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be satisfied. He wants you to be happy serving him. But you must give in to that. You must allow God to have his way. Everybody that I know that paddles their own canoe goes down Niagara Falls one day, and it ends in disaster. Don't, don't paddle your own canoe. Don't row your own boat. God's got a better plan. He wants to save you. 
He wants to keep you. He wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. He wants you to be happy because you're made for God. You're made for the glory of God. Hmm. What does that mean? That means that God wants me to reflect him somehow like the moon reflects the sun. And I can't do that unless I give in to him. Uh, notice verse 17. How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they're no more in number than the sand. Huh. I was down in Clearwater, Florida. Now, I know California has a lot of beach, right? Uh, I was in uh, Florida, and on one of their beaches down there, I, I just reached over one day and as we were walking along, and I picked up what I thought was sand. Then I figured out, that's got to be dust. That can't be sand. The grains were so fine that you could just sort of blow it like dust. But it was sand, very fine sand. And then I looked. As far as I could see, there was sand. And then the mind runs away on you. How about a five ton dump truck full of sand. Whew, that's a lot of sand. And then sand in the deserts. Wow, that's really a lot of sand. Sand on the bottom of the ocean. Folks, we got a lot of sand. I don't know if you know that or not, but uh, it says this, that his thoughts to me are like the number of sand on on the, on the earth. Now, if you could count sand, you could count how much God is thinking about you. See, as a preacher all my life, uh, by the grace of God, I tell people, now you ought to think about God. You ought to be thinking about God. You ought to be praying to God. You ought to include God in everything in your life. God could, should continually be in your thoughts, in your mind. You should pray without ceasing. You should keep up with God. God, 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 think about God. All, listen, he's thinking about you. That's what it says. How, verse 7, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me. If I should try to count them, they're more in number than the sand. Let me tell you something. You are on God's mind tonight. Oh, you say, well, that's impossible. How could, how could every, uh, how many billions of people are on? Listen, that's not a problem for God. You're on his mind. He's got a plan for your life, for good, not for evil, not for bad. He wants to reveal that plan to you. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this last part of verse 18. He said, when I awake, I'm still with thee. <laughs> It's almost like he's daydreaming and a fly lit on his nose. And he went, oh, oh, well, uh, uh, no matter what, God's still here and I'm with God. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He is all powerful. Verse 19. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let me suggest 
that in verses 19 down through, well, at least 22, and we'll include the last two verses, this speaks to us not of God's knowledge, not of his omnipresence, not of his power. He's all-powerful, but of his holiness. God is separate from sinners. There's a difference. The, the man that led me to the Lord, his name was Mr. Howard Borland. He got saved when he was 46 years old. He'd been a deacon in three Baptist churches, never smoked a cigarette, never took an alcoholic beverage, not, never had an immoral relationship. He said, even my father told me I was one in a million. I never gave him any trouble my whole life. He said, I was a good man, but the day he led me to the Lord, he said, uh, before I trusted Christ with that reputation, I was going to hell. I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. <laughs> Everything that he didn't do, I did. And I thought, man, see, that kind of popped my bubble because I thought if you're good, you go to heaven. And if you're like really bad people went to hell, not just bad people like myself, but like really bad people. You know, when we compare ourselves with one another, did you ever notice we're just as good or better? Did you notice that? It's the way we are. You have to compare yourself with God, of course. But Mr. Borland became a Christian at 46 years of age. And, and he was a certified accountant. And every year in Alabama, they had an accountant convention. And he said it was nothing more than a big party. There was a lot of drinking and carrying on. But he had gotten saved. He found another man who had gotten saved. And they determined before God that when they went to the convention this year, they were going to take sides with God. They were just going to take sides with God and let them know whose team that they're on. So he said they were in a big conference room, a big conference table. The place was full, and it was nothing more than a drunken party and using the Lord's name in vain and everything like that. And finally, Mr. Borland stood to his feet, and he said, Gentlemen, I have an announcement to make. He said, Since I was here last year, I have become a Christian. And he said, when you use the Lord's name in vain, it offends me. Would you please not use the Lord's name in vain? He said, a fly sounded like a B-57 bomber coming through there, you know. Whoa, it's just silence, you see. Well, he told me that story. I'm just a young Christian, you know, and he told me that story. Mr. Borland actually discipled me before... Uh, within about a year, and so I spent a lot of time with him. So I'm working on a job. I'm a sheet metal worker. I'm on a job. <laughs> and uh, I'm up in this huge attic. Attic was bigger than my house. It was in North Mississippi, big mansion of a house, new house. And I'm putting the heating and air conditioning ducts in there, and this fellow comes up into the attic, dressed up, suit, tie, the whole thing, and every other word, he was using the Lord's name in vain. Well, this story that Mr. Borland told me is ringing in my head, you know. So I thought, okay, all right, <clears throat> here we go, taking sides with God, you know. So I lay my pouch down, my two pouch down, and I said, sir, I said, I suppose you'd be the owner of this house. Well, you blankety blank right, I am the blah, 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 the owner. And I said, well, I'm a Christian. And I said, your language offends me when you use the Lord's name in vain. I said, would you please try not to use the Lord's name in vain 
when you talk to me. Oh, he said, I'm, I'm sorry. He said, you know, I teach Sunday school down at this church down here. And I, and I just picked up my tools and walked out of that part of the attic. He followed me, <laughs> of all things. Finally, I just walked away. Took sides with God. About two months later, a lawyer in my hometown stopped me on the street and he said, I, I met a friend of yours the other day. I said, you did? He said, yes, he's a federal judge. You were working in his home. I said, I was? He said, yeah. And he said, you know what he told me? He said, a common laborer told me how I ought to be talking in my own house. Can you imagine that, he said. But that is the truth, folks. There needs to be a difference between us and them. It doesn't matter. I tried to do that again. Uh, an electrician got all excited. He went to the, uh, the supervisor on the job, and he said, as long as that Christian is here, I am out of here. And it wasn't long the superintendent came to me, and he said, we got a problem. I said, what's that? And he said, that guy says you're nothing more than a preacher, a holy roller, a religious nut or something. And uh, said, you're telling him how he ought to be talking on the job. I said, sir, he was addressing me. He wasn't talking to anybody else. I said, I got that right. If he's talking to somebody else, that's not my business. If he's talking to me, that'd be my business. And I told him I didn't appreciate his language. He said, well, I just wanted to thank you. I've been looking for a way to lay that man off. <laughs> and he said he wasn't coming back if you were on a job. <laughs> it doesn't always turn out like that, folks. But take sides with God. That's the point. And then at the end, notice, it's, it's almost an enigma. Look at verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. That means like God's already done that, right? Look at verse 23. The request now. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. What's going on here? I think it's this. I think the psalmist says, I know that you know everything about me. Whether I'm conscious of that or not, you do that. But now I am calling God. I want to be conscious. I want you to come in and search me and know me and try me. God, I want you to put me in the test tube and turn the burner on. I want to be conscious that you're doing that. Many, many years ago when it really cost a lot of money to call long distance, a friend called me and he said, do you know uh, what Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says? And I went, oh, uh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah, sure. I didn't have a clue, you know. He said, well, it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. He said, I got to the point in my life I actually asked God to do that. He said, it took me another three days for me to say, try me. It is a searching prayer, isn't it? Search me, try me, put the heat on. Mm. See if there be any wicked way, and then change that for me. You ever invited God to put the test to you? <laughs> you ever said, Lord, I really want to know what I'm made of. I'd like to invite you in a conscious way to search me and know me and try me and lead me. Well, 
I think you can understand why Psalm 139 has become one of my favorite psalms. It was all because a lady who had to force every word out of her mouth one Sunday night quoted that psalm for me. Perhaps you'll find something in there that can apply to your life tonight. I certainly can find something to apply to my life. I think we should sing, Bob. And you know the song, don't you, Bob? That'd be it, <laughs> right. I think it's, what, 545 or something like that? And then maybe you would say It is 545, yes. <clears throat> Let's rise, please. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart today. Try me, O oh Savior, know my thoughts, I Set me free. Verse three. Lord, take my life and make it holy thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Father, we, with fear and trembling, sing those words, search me and know me. But Father, we know that thou already knowest the very inmost thoughts of our hearts, the deeds of our lives. Father, we know because you sent your Son to cleanse us from those things. And yet, Lord, we continue to walk in our own ways. We continue to look in our own, in our own ways and take our own paths. And so tonight, Father, we would ask thee that thou would convict us of sin and self and cause us to cry unto thee, Father, search me and know me. Try me. Oh, Father, it's with fear that we would use those words because we know what's in our own hearts. Oh, but Father, we know that thou art a loving God, that the Lord Jesus has given all for us. And so we trust thee to deal gently with us. Oh, Father, what a joy it is to be thy children. 
Father, bless us. Dismiss us now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.